and amen. As we enter into the season of Advent, this is our first Sunday of Advent, this year we'll have the opportunity for all four scriptures to be read. Two were read during the Advent time, one was overlapped and one was missed. So I want to bring forth that scripture as well as give a little background on what Advent is about, why this time of the year, and how it impacts our lives as Christians. We're moving into the lectionary year C. Today is the first day. Each year of lectionary, one of the gospel messages are moved through the whole year. In the year C, Luke is the primary core gospel passage. So from this point through the end of calendar year C, all the gospel teaching will focus on the book of Luke. But within those, there's still the things that lectionary provides us with from a teaching and preaching standpoint. There's an Old Testament reading. There's a psalm reading. There's a letter or epistle. And then there's a gospel. So let me lift up the letter, the epistle, 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 through 13. And I'll share some things as we move into this first teaching component of the Advent time. And it's simply surrounding the ideas that we are waiting for the King. Amen? Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in the love for one another and for all. Just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. When you think about waiting and you think about the Advent season, what comes to mind? We change the color of the pyramids to really bring forth and the Advent candles and all these things are set before us. But it's not the decoration. It's not the change in the physical that should remind us that at this point of time, we are in the Word studying and proclaiming the coming of a Christ. Jesus Christ came that we may have life and have life abundantly. Then why is it important? Why are the visual changes so crucial? Because these are symbolic representations in the body to remind us what this season should be about for each of us. The Old Testament in the book of Luke, the book of Luke talks about the fulfillment of the scripture from the Old Testament all the way through. There's many stories that we will lift up and we will even talk about how important it is. But it's even more important that each family begin to look around and say, how am I part of the family of Christ? 
What about my branch off of the tree of Jesse? Who am I and how did my life come to pass? Well, in worshiping and looking at this season, let us think about these things. A little brief explanation, it says, the purple and blue color for the pyramids remind us of the royalty of the king. These visual representations, next week we'll have the, the evergreen wreath and the tree, and we have the advent candles, the white candle symbolizing that that is the Christ, the king candle. We'll even have the Christmas tree with all the decorations and the white monograms reminding us and telling the story of who Jesus is. We don't happen to put up a Jesse tree, but the Jesse tree is also a reminder of the lineage of how God came through the lineage of a virgin. So we all have a family tree. We all came from somewhere. There's not one of us that just popped up. And because Jesus is incarnate, he is both man and God, divinity and human, all in one. He came through a virgin birth. And this is the time of season that we reflect, who is God? Who is Jesus Christ? What does the Holy Spirit mean to me? Well, this first sermon is called Hope. And as I begin, I want to share this one common piece as we look at the beginning of Advent season. What does it mean to hope? What are we hoping for? And why are we waiting for a king or preparing for a king to come? Will the king bring us hope? Or will the king remind us that the hope is in him? What are you hopeful for? If we were to ask our children, some of them might say, I'm hopeful that I really do well on my finals because I cannot take that class not one time again. Some of us are hopeful, or even our children say, I'm hopeful that I'll get all A's and B's because mom and daddy promised me if I get all A's and B's, they would give me anything that I wanted. Some of us, we're at different seasons of our lives. We're hopeful that when we go to the doctor, the report will be good. We're even hopeful that the medication that was prescribed will only have to take it five more days because it leaves a bad taste in our mouth. We're hopeful that we get the job that we've interviewed for over and over again. If the truth be told, some of us are hopeful that our car won't break down. And if it does, it won't cost too much money. Shade tree mechanics just aren't easy to come by anymore. So the shade trees are moved away, and some of the people who used to take care of these things are doing something different. And the price to get our car fixed is almost that we need to buy another one. Or maybe some of us are simply hopeful that we don't run out of joy. Because this was the time of the year that Mama and the Daddy always did something special. Grandma always made our favorite foods. And Papa, though he can't sing, always sang that funny little song. 
And every now and then we're hopeful that just how much God means to us would be so evident that we don't even have to open our eyes. You can just see it on our face. We don't have to say a word. So what keeps us from being hopeful? You ever thought about that? Why does our hope run down the drain like water when the plug is removed? What quenches our hope? What stops us from being all that God is calling us to be? Well, the scriptures today talk about what hope is. For if you read Jeremiah 33, 14 through 6, and you really focus in and say, where is the message of hope in those passages? They're simply reminding us that the Lord is our righteousness, that there is a branch of righteousness that has sprung from David, and that branch will execute justice and righteousness in the land. It's hopeful that there's still places that we can see God and know that God will be God all by himself. This past year I had an opportunity to do jury duty. And I considered an opportunity because I didn't know what to expect. When you move from one county to another county, you think they do it all the same way everywhere we go in the state of Texas. Wrong assumption. I came the first day, and they said, well, we didn't call your name. We'll see you back tomorrow. I was like, oh, oh, what? I'm here to seek and help justice just for today. I'm, I'm, I'm only coming, I'm doing my civic duty today. And they said, oh, no, no, no. We seek justice, and you are the body that's going to help us as a citizen of this county. I began to pray immediately. I said, what happens if they call me? I may have to serve for a whole week. Is it that much justice and that much righteousness is needed? But as soon as I ask the question, God said, just look outside the door. And my heart was almost broken because I had never seen that many people waiting to come to court over one thing or the other. I sat next to a young man and he said, this is my third time here. I'm not coming here no more. I'm going to get it right this time. And I reached over and you know how you just say to yourself, well, if I'm too bold, they might put me out. I am in a courthouse. I can't go prophesying and testifying and anything else. But I did simply say to the young man, do you have a church home? Do you know Jesus? Who's going to help you do the right thing regardless of the decision, righteousness and justice? Do you know God? He turned and said, well, you know, I still go to my mama church. I said, well, amen, I'm glad you go somewhere. But I said, do you know Jesus? And at that time, he got called in and I just kind of continued to pray. Why is that important? Because there is a hope that branches off, that when God calls us into whatever situation, as bodies and servants of a most high God, that we would be representatives in any environment. God expects us to be Christians in school. 
God expects us to be Christians on our job. He also expects us to be examples of justice and righteousness. We ought to be peculiar so there's a hope that we would walk right and talk right and be the branch of Jesse coming through the family of David that allowed Jesus Christ to be born and that his salvation would have not come and saved us for nothing. That he would save us, that we would be vessels to be representatives of justice and righteousness. That means that we're called to serve on the court. We can't call the courthouse and say, I'm sick. And we're not really sick. We can't call our jobs and say, well, I'm sick and I'm out shopping. Black Friday has come and gone. Whatever you're going to do for Christmas, have mercy upon us. But we ought to be able to walk in justice and righteousness. Tell the truth, shame the devil and press on. Because God expects us to recognize that hope and justice, he hopes that we will be character-driven to do the right thing and offer justice and righteousness during this journey. But what happens if our hope is a little skewed and something goes wrong, and instead of being a sign and signal of hope for justice and righteousness, we simply say, he deserved to die. We get like the people who stood outside of the court in Pilate's day. We get a little worldly. We get a little judgmental. God calls us to offer hope. And Jeremiah reminds us that it is through the recognition that the Lord is our righteousness, that our character and our being should be molded. So the first thing is, as we are hopeful, is to recognize that hope is real. When we move into the passage through Psalm 25, 1 through 10, it tells us that all paths of the Lord are steadfast. Love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. It is important for us to see that this is the reminder, the beginning, it sets the containment that we are to learn to wait and trust God. For when we learn to wait and trust God and we put all things into the hand of God, that we don't miss it because we're relying on God to give us the direction. The hope is for integrity in our personal righteousness. For God is proclaimed and his justice and model for faithfulness ought to be explored. Jesus came and showed what faithfulness looked like. But if we read through all the Gospels, the disciples had a hard time. They just had a hard time. They were human just like you and me, me and you, all of us. They had a hard time, but they had a special gift. They walked side by side with Jesus. And they still had a hard time with their integrity. They still said, Lord, I want to sit on the right-hand side. No, let me sit on the left-hand side. God, can't you just promote me up above somebody else? And God was continuously showing them, here's my model for faithfulness. Humility. Graciousness. The graciousness is not without accountability. 
Graciousness is not without the willingness to say to one another. So what's happening? So God is seeking through hope that our integrity would be such set apart, that it would set us apart that we would be willing to not only do the right thing, but encourage others to do the right thing. We've even gone in the song, the scripture simply says in verse 7, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, for he is crying out. King David is saying, God, don't, 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 don't look at what I've done yesterday. Accept right. that as the example. You have given me forgiveness. So you stand that fast loud. I want you to remember me and my goodness. For goodness sake, you have set me up right. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But when he picks us up, there ought to be a place where we can dust ourselves off. And that personal righteousness should be strengthened. And we ought to be able to proclaim and see the model of faithfulness. What does it mean to walk hopeful? It doesn't mean to walk with our head down. It doesn't mean to walk with our shoulders bent over. Oh, God ain't came yet. I'm trying to walk by faith and not by sight, and I'm just moving along. He expects us to have some joy in this justice time. He expects us to say, yes, we're seeking for righteousness and we're going to walk one step at a time. We're going to pace ourselves. We're going to be on the treadmill for life. We're going to move along and seek the integrity. We're going to mind our mouths and deal with our tongue. For the realness of it all is we all know the right thing. But personal integrity calls us to do the right thing. We may not like what somebody else does. But God calls us to honor him through such a way that we would seek what it means to be faithful. So what does it mean to be hopeful and faithful on your journey? First of all, we got to know what journey we're on. You ain't on your mama's journey. You ain't on your daddy's journey. You ain't on your cousin's journey. You ain't on your sister's journey. At some point in life, spiritual maturity calls us to understand to be on our own journey. And we not only have personal journeys, but we have collective journeys. Our journey individually, God can set us into. But our collective journey, our church journey, our fellowship journey, our corporate journey, all about learning how to lean and depend on God and one another. For God says the commandment speaks to us loving him, but loving our neighbors. And that moves us into the fourth area of hope. God is hoping that there be a church that loves one another. We can talk love. But like I said last week, when we are really walking it out by faith and not by sight, and we are honoring Christ the King like we've never honored him before, our testimonies of faith ought to be so strong that a blind person can see it. Our testimonies of faith ought to be so strong that somebody can just feel the presence of the Lord. But we are not the Lord, but we are empowered to do the work of God. 
if it's not warm in your house, you have to look at who's in the house. Amen? You can turn the heat on, but sometimes it's not warm in the house. Human nature allows us to walk around being chilly and silly instead of focused on being who God is calling us to be. He calls us in Thessalonians as a reminder that we would be abound to love each other. Sometimes you love each other and you don't like what each other does. Then you get a little shoulder action. Shoulder be all up in your ears and everything all right. I mean, by the time you get it up here, it's all your shoulders almost up to the top of your knees. That's a strange feeling. You're so tight that you can't even be nice to yourself. Shake it off. Shake it off. Because God expects us to love one another. Like we've never loved each other before. But if we can't be a blameless church and we can't be a church that wants to help one another in this time of Advent, our hope is that we ought to be able to pray to him. Amen? Because prayers of a righteous should avail much. And if we're not righteous and our heart isn't right, we have to go to God and say, clean this heart up. You might can get a stent at the cardiologist. But only God can clean up the heart. The cardiologist can remove the plaque and give you all the instructions. But until God cleans up the innermost places, it ain't clean. It's a work in progress. Some of us have to realize that our head and our hearts and our minds and our tongues, they all work together. This is all one body. If you get a pain in your toe, it sends a signal up to your brain, and eventually you say, you know, my toe hurts. Hurt bad. But if we're going to have the hope and actually embrace the hope, we got to say, what are we willing to do ourselves? What are we willing to do collectively? And if you want the murmur gone, stop murmuring. Because God says, I offered you hope. Tremendous, phenomenal, Holy Ghost kind of hope. Right. And I strengthen your heart through holiness. That you would be blameless before God the Father when the coming of Jesus Christ arrives yet again. So if we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And we're not taking the time to clean the houses in our rooms. And the rooms in our houses. And our hearts and our minds and our souls. If we're not taking this time to be inter-evaluating, we're missing a point. But God doesn't keep us in the inside all the time. If I turn and I told this whole congregation, just stay inside. Fold your arms and we're going to only focus on what's inside. And God says, I called you to be a testimony to the outside. But we said, we're only going to serve those inside. We would be out of order with Jesus. We would be out of order with the mission and direction of our church. Our church says that what? We would love one another. Somebody read the mission statement. We say it every week. We are disciples of Christ, saved by the grace of God. Who through love and by love shall serve? God. And who? All people. It didn't say the people on the inside. It didn't say the people on the road. It didn't say the people that just live on the west side. It didn't say the people that just went here and their mama went here and their daddy went here. 
God calls us to serve all people. And newsflash, we can't get well by ourselves. But we can't get well and stay inside and do nothing until we get well. Because it'll be an intensive time here and it'll need a whole lot of doctors. We need to get well and move forward. Get well and move. You got to get and move. You get a little well and move out. Because nobody is going to get fully perfected until God is saying, you know what? You done reached the level. It's time to come home. You done done your work on there. I'm looking for you. Come on back up to the big house. Come on back where the sky is super clean and the grounds are gold. But until you get there, I got work to be done right here. Hope, justice, righteousness, integrity, love. Because he ain't back yet. And that's the problem that Thessalonians had. They were trying to set the tone before Jesus had ever came back. They looked at it and said, mm, I heard he come back next week, so I ain't going to do nothing until he get back. He's supposed to come in the next two weeks. I'm going to dust the furniture off in my house, and I ain't going to work nowhere else. Because he said he would come back in that generation, and they had already decided, we the generation. But we don't know that because God said, I neither the day nor the hour is set. So we have to live in a manner of preparation. So the hope is that we would be prepared through living a life of love. That people would be willing to check out Jesus Christ because of what they see in you and me. Some of the tightest people love the Lord, but they show it different. But we assume they don't have no love for Jesus Christ. I looked at them, they didn't, they look tight. Looks can be deceiving. Ask them a question, do you love Jesus? How does it feel when you love Jesus? How does it feel when Jesus loves you back? Just get into holy conversation instead of assuming that they don't love the Lord. Assumptions will do some terrible things in your life. If you know that you know that you know and you ain't checked it out, maybe you don't know all that you think you know that you know. Hope is about being willing to love one another and live to be the blameless church God is calling us to be. When we look at the book of Luke, I simply want to bring up these two words. Verse 32 says, Truly, truly, some of your Bibles say, Verily, verily, I tell you that this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, not my words, God's words, will never pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with the disposition and drunkenness and the worries of the world. And that the day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. Hope is that we have the signs of renewal every day in our lives. We've had plenty great examples and continue to have examples of being an example of how good God is. 
But a lot of times, ecclesiastically, when we look at the study of end times, when we look at what our life will look like when it comes to the end, we have to remember that God brought yet the beginning and the end. We cannot be so focused on tomorrow that we don't see today. We can't be so focused on looking back and say, Whoa! How far did he bring me? But we miss how much he wants to do today. Somebody here, God wants to set us on the right path. And we're fearful that this is not the path. Well, God says, until you receive my peace, wait on me. But he didn't say wait and do nothing. He said, wait, but do what I've already called you to do, that I've already given you instructions to do. Don't just wait with your arms folded. Children need to know how to read. They miss in school. There's a gift and a purpose that God has set in your heart, and you are not giving that back right now. So if you're waiting on the king, wait in action, wait in expectation, wait in newness, that he may bless you like you've never been blessed before. And I say this with love. Sometimes we're looking for a sign. I'm not going to go back and talk about when we was in the zodiac signs and peace signs and all that other. We done been through it all. But we're waiting on a sign. God is sending signs every day. But we're looking for a particular one, and he's sending the one he wants you to see. But you keep saying, and I even do it sometimes. Well, I don't want to see that one. Well, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. All the signs that are pointing at us, it's time. If we want spiritual maturity, we have to stop living like we Burger King Christians. Have it our way ain't always the way. But have it God's way and walk in the will of God and embracing the possibility he has for our life, setting in motion the hope and saying, I'm hoping for a new day. But use me, Lord, for the newness of Christ. I'm hoping that we move forward. But God, me, oh, great Jehovah, set forth a new walk and a new talk. Don't just put it in me, but give me your action plan. So I'm not focused on the past. And I'm not running in the future. I want to hope for a season that Advent will bring a most high king. He will bring something out of us that we have never seen before. So if we don't praise the Lord today, we will miss the hope that's right in front of us. Let us continue to move through this Advent season with a heart of expectation, a spirit of newness. And a smile that says, I may not know what you're going through, but if I can pray you through. And then all of most anything, if there's something we need to dust off, throw away, move or give to somebody else. Let us not bless each other with mess. Let us bless each other with a master plan. If you haven't heard it yet, Listen, he's calling our name.